podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the first ever, should we say, pilot edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. My name is Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. And my name is Santoki Nagulendran, and we're going to be delving into the wonderful world of cricket in the Caribbean, charting the ups and downs of regional cricket. Indeed. Um, Maybe for those who have followed our Twitter handle already, or if you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, who are these jokers? The Twitter handle is at Carib Cricket, C-A-R-B-C-R-I-C-K-E-T. And you can find out a bit more information there as well, as well as a link to the blog form um, of the podcast where you'll see some articles already up there on West Indies Cricket. Just to give you a bit of an intro as to what we're actually doing here, as Santoki's already said, um, we kind of just wanted to have some diaspora voices speaking about uh, Caribbean cricket. I think more often than not, um, particularly if you're not in the Caribbean, obviously, um, you can have voices speaking on Caribbean cricket that actually don't know an awful lot about it and can resort to generic statements, usually about the 1980s. So we kind of wanted to to start our own media platform and have some authentic voices speaking on Caribbean cricket. So um, let's get started. Santoki, how, how was... Um, how was the first test for you between West Indies and India? Well, where do I start with this one? So West Indies, India, first test, first World Test Championship match for both sides. So massive context to this two test series. West, uh, West Indies, they, they started off bowling. India batted first. And I would say you, you, most teams in the world would be pretty happy to bowl India out for under 300. What would you say, Mesh? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, though, I agree. I think if you had said to me prior to the start um, of the test match, right, West Indies are going to bowl first, they're going to get injured yeah. out for less than 300, you would yeah. have been a fool not to accept that. But yeah. it was the same old story that you tend to get mm-hmm. with the West Indies, where at one point India were 25 for three in the first yeah. session on the first day. And in fact, they were 93 for four when uh, KL Rahul... Uh, was dismissed and you kind of thought right killer instinct let's have a repeat of what happened um, against England let's blast them out let's blow them away and even last summer um, in one test against Sri Lanka and both tests against Bangladesh it was you you just assumed okay our fast bowling in the Caribbean is back let's blow them away at that point I don't think we took um, the initiative I don't think we had any killer instinct Um, and in that sense Injured getting away to 297 was a disappointment, particularly as Coley was already out. Yeah, I was going to say, India, we got... I mean, the main threats for them in the test are Pujara and Coley. We got Pujara out for two runs. Coley, the captain, out for nine runs. So you'd think from there, you'd maybe bowl India out for under 250. But we let the inexperienced Vihari and Pant 
take it away slightly. And then Jadeja came in with a massive innings in this context, 58, which kind of took India, gave them the confidence uh, going into the West Indies innings, I felt. Yeah, and um, for those who were, were watching on Sky, I think, um, I can't remember if it was, it must have been Ian Bishop because Viv really talks a lot of sense. Sorry, Viv. Um, but um, <laughs> it, it must have been Ian Bishop because um, I think he said that, or no, if it was Darren Ganga, he said that the test was lost in the first innings because he said it wasn't so much that India got 297, it was the fact that West Indies failed after everyone had got a start in their reply and he very much felt that um, the West Indies should have got or should have overtaken India's first innings at the very least and that's where they lost the test. Yeah, I think I think you can't really fault Kimar Roach, Shannon Gabriel. They came up with the goods. They took seven wickets between them, fast bowling, especially Kimar Roach was coming in. I felt the Indian batsmen were scared of him. But that depth in bowling, we had Miguel Cummins who came in as a late replacement for the injured Kimo Paul. Not really effective, but you wouldn't really expect that from Miguel Cummins. He's not really a player who comes into the side and turns games on its head. He's kind of like a standing, a standing bowler. So he didn't take any wickets. Jason Holder, he had a good economy. He bowled very tight, but again, he didn't take any wickets. So that lack of depth meant there was a lot of emphasis on Kimar Roach and Shannon Gabriel. And Shannon Gabriel, we know, is not the fittest bowler. Kimar Roach is injury prone. So you're wondering where is where West Indies going to have the capabilities to take 10 wickets in an innings without relying too much on Roach and Gabriel? Yeah, um, indeed. And I think I've just got to echo your, uh, your views on Cummins there. Um, I can't remember who, but someone... On our Twitter feed, um, I'll find the name shortly. I've got a feeling it was Andy. But someone on our Twitter feed had said to me, what is Cummins doing in the side? Um, and I naively said, well, he took, a, he took, I think, three or four wickets in the, the, the 18 test. And actually, last summer against Bangladesh, or it might have even been Sri Lanka, he played in one of the test matches and did actually take wickets. But historically speaking, Miguel Cummins isn't a test match bowler or isn't, to me, he's not test match level. Um, and a, a, a good friend of mine actually described Cummins as like a relief bowler. You know he's not taking wickets. The best you can hope for is that he can slow the scoring rate and keep things tight. And he didn't even do that. No, so, um, the, yeah, go on, I'm sorry. He had the highest economy, isn't it? 3.76. Yeah. Bowler. So you're wondering what what was his role in the team? What did they bring him in, bring him in for? It it just I mean obviously um uh sorry name scared me Alzari Joseph obviously he's injured at the moment. Yeah. Now my issue isn't so much that Cummins is useless like whatever he is, but my issue is why was Cummins the goal too? Now exactly. all through the Ace or the A tour because there's no there's no um, Red Bull cricket going on in the Caribbean at the moment. So the only Red Bull cricket they could realistically choose players from was the West Indies A versus India A ODI um, and for a Test match quote unquote series. Now in those particular matches, the standout bowlers were Chamar Holder from Barbados, who was yes. also in that under nineteen team that won the World Cup, um, yes. and. Um, Romario Shepard from Guyana. Now, and those two have been knocking on the door for quite a long while in um, first-class cricket. Now, obviously, first-class cricket in the Caribbean is quite poor, but they actually look like they're good. 
Um, yeah. And I just don't. Beyond the fact that Cummins has played has played test matches before, I cannot understand why they didn't go to fresh bowlers who have recently played and looked good. Yeah, yeah, it's a very conservative selection policy at the moment. We seem to have a rotation of average players who keep coming back into the side, whereas I feel we should just go for the young talent who are tearing it up in for West Indies A or Regional and just give them a shot. Yeah, um, I think, um, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see that clip that I, um, that Sportsmat clip, Sportsmat, sorry, clip, I um, uh, posted this morning, but Vernon Springer, uh, one of the uh, key figures in Lee Waddell's cricket, um, he was very forthright in saying, um, and it echoes your conservative point, that too many players don't get dropped. And the reason why they don't get dropped is because we're stuck in this cycle of give them a go, give them a go. Eventually they'll learn. And at, I'm, at some point you have to take the attitude of, no, you're actually no good. You have to go and play some first-class cricket and prove that you're any good again. Um, and we're not, we're not really doing that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's very conservative. Going, speaking of selection, the big topic within the media going to this test match was the selection of Raheem Cornwall in the yes. squad. So, do you feel he should have played in this test? Was it his time to shine? Given we were, given we were in Antigua, yeah, I think everyone expected him to play. And I just wonder if we got caught up in what happened the last time he played in Antigua. So the last time we played in Antigua, um, we blew England away. But the track that they played on for this test wasn't the same track versus England. And also, um, if 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 I remember rightly, the last time they played in Antigua versus England, it got a... um, it got a demerit point that they said that the yeah, the, the, pitch. the pitch was um was below standard. So yeah, it was abandoned. Yeah. So um so um as a consequence, the groundsman for 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 this particular test match took the green off the wicket, and I just I'm just wondering, did we fall into a trap of thinking, well, our strengths are fast bowling in the Caribbean, let's just pick four pass four fast bowlers and just go for it. And not actually yeah. look at the conditions, and also not consider that this is Raheem Cornwall's home ground. So, exactly, yeah. uh, uh, it's, I, okay, let me put it back on you. Where do you stand on Raheem Cornwall's weight and the fact it's international cricket? Is that he's now been called up to the squad for the first time? So obviously it's no longer holding him back. But do you think that there's still some kind of fattest agenda against him? <laughs> Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think his size is obviously is such a dominating feature. He's a big guy, very tall, very wide. But look at his statistics. He's a good. He takes wickets wherever he plays. Regional, regional level, West Indies A's. He's always chipping in wickets, and he's handy with the bat. I've seen him play in the CPL. He's hit big scores for West Indies A. So I would say if he's managed to get to that level, despite what some would say is the disadvantage of his size then there's obviously talent there. So going forward, I would say to probably play in West Indies, to be a mainstay in the West Indies side, he would probably have to get a bit fitter, lose a bit of weight. But at the moment, he's delivering the statistics to warrant a place, warrant an opportunity in this West Indies side, which isn't really performing well. If you take 
if you take us if you take the England series out of this, we're an average side in the test, below average a lot of times in the test format. So Raheem Cornwall is very deserving of a chance at this point in time, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um, if I'd known it was between Miguel Cummins and Raheem Cornwall, exactly, yeah. I would have picked Cornwall every single time because what well, ultimately what Cummins did wasn't a shock. Like, if you'd said to us, oh, he's not going to take any wickets, you would have just nodded your head and gone, yeah, of course he's not going to take any wickets. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so if it was between him and Rakeem Cornwall, it should have been Cornwall every single time. But actually, um, uh, at Leah uh, Linux, um, if she listens to this, I think she probably will, she had said to me, um, I said Chase is a part-timer, and she said Chase isn't a part-timer. I... And I've just seen that Chase has got into the top 10 all-rounders in these now ranked in the top 10 in um, Test Cricket. Do you think that maybe the problem is, and in fairness to Chase, he did take six wickets in the Test match. Do you think that West Indies are also uh, hindered by the fact that why pick Cornwall when you know Chase can can actually take wickets? Um, I still think he shouldn't be considered as... The main, the, the the main spinner in the side. I don't. I think your art's in too much for him. He, he bowled thirty eight overs in the in the um, Indian second innings. This is a guy who we want to be making hundreds. I'm not. I think we are overusing him as a spinner. Yeah, I mean, a great comparison I say is Moeen Ali. He's kind of like the Moeen Ali of of the side. He's a batsman who can bowl a bit, but primarily is a batsman. But suddenly he's being relied upon to be our main spinner and he's going to be given more and more overs because he has a knack for taking wickets. But is that to the detriment of his batting ability? We saw a few years ago against Pakistan, he had a marvellous series, scored a few centuries. The last test against England in January or February, he uh, scored a century. So he does have the ability to score centuries lower down the order. And West Indies do need desperately players who can score centuries. So I would I would agree with your point. I don't think we should be using him as, as a main spinner because he's so valuable as a batsman. And I wouldn't want him to lose his, his batting ability at the behest of having to bowl 30, 40 overs uh, an innings. Yeah. Um, and... Um... Even I think um, if, if you actually look at the uh, the second innings for India, I know we haven't even looked at the West Indies first yet, but if you, have, you actually look at the second innings, Chase bowled 38, Campbell bowled 6, Rathwaite bowled 7, Miguel Cummins had a headache and bowled 7. He is a headache, <laughs> but, the, but, but my argument is if Campbell and Brathwaite bowled 13 overs between them, that means you've got your selection wrong because... Yeah. That tells me you should have been playing Raheem Cornwall then, um, <laughs> if if you're if you're actually putting real part-time spinners into bowl against the Indians. Yeah, I mean I know Brathwaite took six wickets against Sri Lanka many moons ago, but he shouldn't be bowling seven overs in in any Test game. And something's gone wrong if you're relying on Brathwaite, as you said, and John Campbell to take to bowl thirteen overs against India, no less. So yeah, there's obviously a massive gap there and. You're right, Raheem Cornwall would have been perfect for this situation. Also, coming in, coming into the test side, you're pumped up. You're making your debut on your home ground as well. You wouldn't know what type of performance he would give it. He could have swung the game, for all we know. 100%. So if we look at the West Indies' uh, first innings, yep. I mean, so they got two, 222 all out, which actually, given that overnight, um, they were, at one point, they were 179 for eight, and it was Holder 
and uh, I'm going to say Cummins at the crease. Yeah. Cummins hit an epic 45 ball naught. Um, but uh, <laughs> but he, he kept hold of company, which allowed the West Indies to eke it up to 2-2-2 and yeah. kind of have a 70 run deficit. But that notwithstanding, I think I alluded to it earlier on, the disappointing thing with the West Indies reply, every single batsman got some kind of start. Yeah. But, yeah, but then agree. couldn't kick on. Exactly. I think uh, John Campbell as well, he, the jury's still out on him. I mean, he was in the side which demolished England, but he's never really had a big knock so far for West Indies. And it feels, from what I've seen, he's more suited to the white ball game at the moment. So his place as an opener is is in doubt, but you have to wonder who can they, who do they have to fill in. I know you're a big fan of uh, Tej Narayan and Chanderpaul, so it'd be interesting to see if they call up someone like that to come in as opener, or if they stick with John Campbell for the remainder of this year at least. Brathwaite as well. Brathwaite, you thought he would have kicked on. He'd had a great start to his career in his early 20s, but so far he's been slipping and slipping, and it's been a long time since he's had a big knock. So there's big question marks over West Indies openers at the moment. Yeah, I think um, I would actually argue there's big question marks all the way from one through to <laughs> one through to five, because yeah. actually when you look at West Indies, let's go. Well, you could go from 2015, but yeah. that'd take us a long time. Let's just go <laughs> since uh, Bangladesh last year because we won yeah. a couple of tests. The 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 batsmen who tend if West Indies score heavily. The batsmen who tend to do it are either Chase, Holder or Dalrich, because more often than not, they're coming in at five, six, seven or six, seven, eight um, and rescuing a top order failure of some sort. And the, the reality, as you say, Brathwaite, he's been he's av- he's averaging 12 in his last eight test matches. Eight, yeah, 12 in his last eight test matches. Um, 22 over the last two years of cricket and the reality is he's never going to get replaced because his test match average is still actually 34 rod and in in the West Indies that that's the equivalent of having a test match average that's like a Steve Smith average in West Indies cricket <laughs> <laughs> so there's no way Brathwaite can ever be dropped he should be because if we're talking about um, a, a true meritocracy he is constantly failing and should be dropped and somebody else given a chance but as as you say and this, the same holds for John Campbell who's really left as you, I, you know I've been calling for Shiv's son for a while he's actually not ready yeah. to play test cricket but yeah. the one thing Shiv's son can do is occupy crease so mm-hmm. I, I keep calling for, for Tej because I would rather see Tej hit a 100 ball 12 than see John Campbell hit a pretty 20 and not have a test match technique. Um, yeah. Because we, our, our top order are all walking wickets at this moment in time. Um, so Brathwaite Campbell, um, Dwight, Darren Bravo's my guy, but he looks like he's really, really either down in confidence or... Maybe we brought him back too soon. I don't know. Um, in fact, what's your feelings on Darren? Darren? Darren's a tough one because he obviously has the class, very classy batsman, someone that West Indies need, but two years out of the game pretty much. I mean, I know he played the T20 franchises here and there, but Red Bull cricket, two years out of the game, 
it was always going to be tough for him to come back. I mean, against England, you could see his technique was there, but the rustiness, trying to get back those two years, is going to be very tough. And it's not, it won't help him that it's against India, one of, well, probably the best test side in the world at the moment. So I think Darren Bravo, based on the context of his situation, I feel like he should be given more time because we know he does have the capabilities to go big. He's not, he's not that old. I think he's 30 years old. He's so, 30, yeah. And he's played for many years. He's probably played for West Indies a good 10 years now, at least. So he's he's a veteran in the side, so I feel he should be given more time. I was slightly puzzled with the inclusion of, of the debut of Shamar Brooks Listen. In at, num- at number three because he's sort of like, I guess you could compare him to, say, Devin Smith. He's been a mainstay in first-class cricket for Barbados. You always see his name about. But going into this, going into this test series... He wasn't having great form either for West Indies. He scored two half centuries for the West Indies A, but previously playing for Barbados in first-class cricket, his scores weren't remarkable. He didn't really hit a massive score. So it was surprising to see Shamar Brooks given given a debut at number three. Bearing in mind, he's not exactly young either. He's he's turned 30. So it's interesting to see what the logic was in picking Shamar Brooks. Did they just want a veteran of the first-class system, someone they hope could maybe make the adjustment later on? Or... Well, they just there, there was no other options. They just thought, let's just go for Shamar Brooks. And you would say, based on his performance in this test, he didn't justify that decision to be selected. Listen, when I saw the selection of Shamar Brooks, I wanted to fight someone. Because yeah. so much of what you said is spot on. And I, I, boy, I, could, I, could, I could riff on this for ages. Because Brooks, I think, has basically, he's had the position of next in line for a while. Um, he's been, he's been. He, I think he was, th- he was, he was the thirteenth man in the England series as well. So in that sense, I get why he's he's been picked because he was next in line. Now the reality is, his position in the squad was replacing, um, oh sorry, in the team was replacing Dowridge because Dowridge obviously was injured. Now even if we accept that, Brooks has got five first class hundreds. No West Indian batsman should be debuting for West Indies when your record is just five first-class hundreds and you're 30 years old. Yeah. And not if we're even going to try and argue he should have got a debut, what on earth is he doing debuting at number three against the Indians when his record is so modest? And I have to look at whether it's... In fact, no, I'm blaming Holder, I'm blaming Reefer, because it's got to be those two. Because you look at the squad, you have Darren Bravo... You have Shimron Hetmeyer. Yes, Shea Hope was wicket-keeping, so I understand why Hope couldn't come three. But you have Bravo and you have Hetmeyer. You mean to tell me that Shamar Brooks debuted at number three against the best test side in the world when you have Bravo and Hetmeyer in the team as well? I mean, I would have... I would have personally told Hetmeyer to go three and said to him, learn to value your wicket and stop giving it away. Yep. On that topic, though, what was your what was your thinking behind their move to drop Hetmeyer down to number seven? Oh, boy. Is that sort <laughs> of giving him that sort of giving him the license to fill? If you if you would say coming in at seven, just come out and smash the ball. Um. I want to say there was a logic behind it. If there was logic behind it, it should have been because I want to punish him and say, listen, you're so reckless 
we don't even consider you a top six batsman anymore. So if it was that, I get it. I don't think it was that. I think they made it up as they went along because yeah. Hope came six. Now, obviously, Hope had just wicket, had just um, been wicket-keeping in the Indian innings, took five catches, which is impressive in fairness. Surely, if Hope is replacing Dow Richards' wicket-keeper, you just tell Hope to come seven and tell yeah. Hetmeyer to come above him. Um, now, to give Hetmeyer his due, I watched his innings um, in, the, in, the, in the first innings, and actually, obviously, Chase aside, he looked very competent. But as ever, you just knew you are going to give it away at some point to a loose shot. And that's precisely what he did. And, uh, I mean, big up your Ghanaian boys. I know you're pro-Guyana and whatnot. But um, um, I really like Shimron. I'm just... It's upsetting to me that this boy has so much talent. Shimron could be whatever he wanted to be. But I just feel like this year in particular, he... I don't know if he's let the IPL money get to his head. I don't know if his head is in the game right now, but I feel like he has been reckless this year. Yeah, I, I feel the IPL has sort of made a turning point in his career. He's sort of he's come out with a lot more confidence. You can see in the body language, the way he he bats with the the hat on, um, the chewing gum, that kind of confidence. But as you say, it's reckless. He's not defending his wicket. He's playing every game as if it was an IPL match, which you can't do in test match cricket. So you're wondering at what point is he going to learn to discipline himself? In my honest opinion, I feel like he would need to be dropped for a good period, six months to kind of learn, focus on his technique, focus on batting, how to bat red ball cricket, and then come back into the side. But the desperate situation within the side is you can't really afford to drop him because he's still one of the better batsmen in the side, even playing this reckless brand of cricket. That, that, that's all facts um, and in fact I was surprised to see that when I looked at the averages of um, the top six over the last I don't know if it was six months of cricket he's actually averaging better than all of them and that that tells apart from obviously not Chase and not Holder but that tells you an awful lot that the most reckless batsman in the site <laughs> is actually averaging more than the, than the rest of them um, in the last six months so and and that's why I go back to my point about loads of them could be dropped, but yeah. what you what are you gonna do when about when about four players deserve to be dropped? What do you actually do? So yeah. um, you know. And one one puzzling aspect of West Indian cricket is you have the Guyanese side in the regional who have dominated it for the last four years. I think they've won the title four years in a row. I think it might be five, you know. Five, yeah, possibly five. Um. Their captain, Leon Johnson, do you think he should be given more of a shot? I know he's played nine tests for the West Indies, his last test coming in 2016. But he has captained the Guyanese side with some stellar performances over the past four or five years. Do you think that he warrants a, a place in the side coming in at number three? So, I like Leon. Um, <laughs> and I think they have messed him about, though. Because I think, if I'm right, that last 2016, is that when they were in South Africa? Um, it was um, the Pakistan series in the UAE. Ah, okay. Um, if I'm right, though, we might have toured South Africa before that. Yeah. And yeah, they that. made Leon open yeah, when it's clearly opened. when it's not his position. And I just feel yeah. like, and then obviously he 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 didn't perform against Pakistan. Um, and I just feel like they messed him about. Um, yeah. 
And we do this quite a lot where we call players up, don't even don't even bat them in their regional position and then wonder why they then fail at in um why they then fail at the test match level. Like when Shai Holt first debuted for the West Indies, he he debuted as an opener and looked completely out of his depth, then got dropped. Um Leon's the best captain in the region, everyone knows that. Um but then we can get onto this maybe later or maybe in in the in the next podcast if we ever do another one. But um, <laughs> that's another. If you can't pick the best captain just because he's best captain, when Jason Holder will never lose a Test match captaincy. That's for now yeah. certainly anyway. So um, maybe we should let's unpick that one at a later date. Um, just looking back at the rest of the Test though. So um, obviously India in the second innings, three hundred and forty-three for seven. Um, it was your kind of usual. Uh, West Indies test this goes back to like the last three four years uh, of a West Indies second innings where a team just bats and bats and bats and we're just waiting for them to declare um, and I think Roach had a couple dropped a couple of reviews not made but in reality in the second innings um, the bowling was pretty mediocre from everyone I mean, except I Kimar mean, Roach it was mediocre yep I'd agree with that and also yeah when as soon as Wahane and uh, Kohli came together at the crease they sort of took the game away and it got to a point where India just carried on batting so Vihari could get a century which he didn't in the end but it showed you how much control they had over the game whereas they they were waiting for someone to get a personal milestone before they uh, made their declaration confident that they were they had a massive lead ahead I don't even know why they waited for 400 there was no way I was confident we wouldn't even make 250 um, so I, I do think that you're right. India were just this was a person. It was a personal milestone thing because they could have declared at any particular point. And then I, yeah. I don't know if you remember when they finally declared. I posted up on Twitter and said, "How many will West Indies lose before the end of the day?" Well, knocked me <laughs> down. They lost all of them. <laughs> well, I think I think the, I think the wrong got to my head on that day because I tweeted a picture of uh, Ramnesh Sarwan and Shivnarayan Chanderpaul when they. Uh, when they chased 418 against the Aussies, and I said uh, anything is possible, but that was a that was a massive uh, bad call for on my part. I should have just gone carnival and not bothered watching. Um, <laughs> so um, just to kind of for those who weren't uh-huh. who, who didn't see it, in fairness, in fairness, and this is why I had to take a couple of days to kind of gather my thoughts on it. It was a combination of two things. Some of the wickets, so Brathwaite just hung his bat out there. He looked completely... Brathwaite, the ball that got Brathwaite wouldn't have even hit a sixth or fifth stump. And he just hung his bat out there. And that's that's how I know Brathwaite is out of form. Because the one thing Brathwaite tends to guarantee you is a price on his wicket. He's not the type of batsman who just hangs his bat out for no particular reason. Um, he's not. He's not that reckless, so... You can see he's clearly he's clearly out of touch. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the team talk was from the head coach going into this fourth innings because obviously, four nineteen realistically you're not going to chase it. So, how what did he say to the batsman? Did he set a target of maybe pushing it into the fifth day, a target score, maybe getting up to two fifty three hundred, or did he just say we can chase the four? 419 and they, they went in thinking that so it'd be interesting to see what mentality they had what they were aiming for in this fourth innings I, they must have been mentally broken because remember as well all week or in the in the camp prior to the test they've they've had the expertise of um, Lara and Sarwan yep. to help them with their batting and I felt sorry because Sarwan 
the cameras were panning to Sarwen on in the in the outside the dressing rooms watching it unfold. And I kept thinking, you lot are making Sarwan look bad. Because I know he never told you to bat like this. This this is a guy with a test average of over 40. And obviously Lara, we know, is Lara. And these guys are going out there looking like a shambles. I mean, it'd be no exaggeration to say I'd be willing to bet money on Sarwan being able to bat in this test at his age and still scoring more than the top five combined. 100%. Someone's only 38 years old. He could walk into this test match side and be the best batsman. Yep. And if you look at it, the top five, so you had Brathwaite scored one, Campbell scored seven, then you've got Brooks two, Bravo two, Hetmeyer one, West Indies were five for 15 at one point. (laughs) Because I have to laugh now. At the time, I was upset, but I have to laugh. Now, in fairness, though, let's give some credit where it's due. I don't know if you've subsequently seen but some of Bumrah's deliveries yep. were, would have got probably every batsman in the world out except Steve Smith and maybe even him. So particularly the, the one to Hope and the one to Holder, even the one to Bravo, I know he left a bit of a gap, but those were those were swinging deliveries that top-class test batsmen would have struggled to keep out. Yeah, I mean, all eyes in the cricketing world were obviously on what happened in Ashes uh, with Ben Stokes at Headingley. But cricket fans, if you saw the spell from Bumrah, it was world class. Probably the best spell in Test cricket this year, I would say. Because, as you said, apart from Steve Smith, I can't think of many batsmen who have, who would have been able to handle the swing, the pace, the precision of his deliveries consistently. And his figures speak for, speak for themselves. Eight overs, four maidens, conceded only seven runs and took five wickets. So absolutely demolished this West Indian side. Yeah, if you are a genuine cricket fan, you need to go find that. You need to go find the the video of that spell because Eli, I when he took when he took out Holder's wicket, I was at. I think I just I must have sworn, but like sworn in terms of appreciation of what he'd done. There was nothing Holder could do about it. Absolutely nothing. Um, so it, 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 there is a bit of mixed sentiment in it, in so much as obviously the West Indies are shit, but there has to be huge credit given to Bumrah. He 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 demolished them as well. I think we also have to give uh, some credit to Kimar Roach for sparing our complete blushes. Where we were nine for we had fifty for nine at one point. Kimar Roach managed to take us to triple figures with with the hundred all out by just going for it. Playing the Hetmeyer brand of cricket, 38 or 31 balls, nothing to lose. Along with Miguel Cummins, uh, took us to 100 all out, which uh, avoided even more disastrous records being broken. But it was still India's biggest ever away win in terms of runs. Um, I've got some friends on a podcast called um, Edges and Sledges podcast. Shout out, shout out my guys. Um, and um, I said to them during the ODI series that, I can't remember, I think Coley got, I don't know how many, I can't remember how many centuries he got, but I said, whenever teams play West Indies, there's always the potential to stat pad against them, mm-hmm. because you, the West Indies record over the last four or five years, you can guarantee that at least in one test match, someone's making some kind of personal record, or the team's making a record of some sort, it's just the nature of the team that they are, that they allow teams to do things they've never done before. Yeah, so... 
West Indies have won this. Uh, India have won this test by 318 one. So the second test starts in uh, Kingston, Jamaica, Sabina Park on Friday. And what I'm wary of is, as you said, this is a team motivated by records and personal achievements. So Kohli, you'd imagine, would be desperate for a century in this second test. So he's going to be batting out of his skin. West Indies have made just the one change. Kimo Paul comes in for Miguel Cummins, which I think we both agree is a good move for the side. One little subplot going on was the inclusion of Chris Gale. Was Chris Gale going to get a farewell in front of his home crowd in a format he hasn't played since 2014? Many people felt it was a possibility, but ultimately the selectors have chosen not to pick him. Mash, if you were on the selectors panel, would you be sentimental and pick Gale? Or would you just say it's not realistic? He doesn't he doesn't warrant a place. Let's just move forward. Um, okay, before I answer that, just so you, just so everyone knows, Chris Gale did tweet today after the team was broke, after the squad was announced, and uh, his tweet said, "To West Indies cricket, reshuffle the deck again. I'll see you all on Friday, my fans. I'll hit a double before lunch on day one." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, would I've selected the universe boss? Um, listen, I'm a I'm a proud Jamaican. Jamaica to the world and all that. Um, and Chris Gell, even at his big age of 39, nearly 40, is the best opener in West Indies cricket. That's not to say that Chris Gell is, is good right now. That's to say how bad everybody else is. Um, that said, does he deserve a farewell test? Two answers, yes and no. Yes, but not in this context. Um, no, He's blocked in the future if he played, so he shouldn't get it. But I can't reveal my sources, and I don't know if this will happen, but there could well be, and don't be surprised, if West Indies schedule a test at some point against either Ireland or Afghanistan. Maybe they should even try Scotland. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do that just to give him a farewell. And I think yeah. that would be right. Yeah, I think Chris Gale deserves a farewell. But as you said, within the context of this being the first series of the World Test Championships, you feel you feel it was almost a disrespectful to the championship if they did pick Chris Gale. I feel like where's what India did with Sachin Tendulkar when they arranged the test against West Indies, as specifically as a farewell to the great man, they should do the same to Chris Gale. So have a test that doesn't have any context. As you said, maybe against uh, Afghanistan or Ireland. Just let Chris Gale have his one song and then ride off into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, 100%. Um, looking at the squad, though. So, as you said, Paul's in. So, <laughs> I think there's two big question marks here. Because the other person you've missed out is Jamal Hamilton um, is in the squad, as you would assume, a like-for-like for, like for Dalrich. Um so I'm just looking I'm trying to think how they're going to approach this. I saw an article today that suggested India might play two spinners, which may give something away about what the nature of Sabina Park is looking like. If that if Sabina Park hasn't been prepared to be a spicy deck, then Cornwall has to play. Yeah. But if Cornwall plays, who's not playing? Do you, do you see what I mean? So yeah. I think there's two different ways of approaching this. Either Cornwall just doesn't play, 
Kimo Paul comes in, I would then drop Brooks and pick Jamar Hamilton as a specialist keeper and put Shai Holt back in the top order. So that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is you don't pick Hamilton, you leave Hope as the keeper, drop Brooks for Cornwall, and drop, obviously Cummins is gone, and Paul for Cummins. Now, obviously, you lose a, you lose a top order batsman if Brooks goes for Cornwall, but Cornwall and Cummins, sorry, Cornwall and Paul can both provide lower order runs. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. I think that would be a great, great change, the best possible change we could have for the side. But realistically, I can envision us only doing a straight swap. So Kimo Paul coming in for Cummins and the rest of the side remaining the same, purely because I feel from the selector's point of view, dropping Shamar Brooks after one test would look badly on their judgment. So I think to save face, they'll keep Shamar Brooks for the series. And that, I mean, that's what I expect. I'm not going to lie. That's what I expect. I'd be The changes I have just given is what a progressive captain, yeah. coach, selectors, if they pick the, if they pick, pick the start in um, XI, that's what they should do. Um, however, the reality is I would be surprised if that's what they did. If the, if the pitch is taking spin, Cornwall has to play. You can't go in. If, in, if, if, if anyhow Inja pick two spinners, so what, Jadeja and Ashwin, anyhow they yeah. pick two spinners and we go in with Chase only, where it's a certain defeat. Yeah. I mean, it's a certain defeat anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a certain defeat. Um, and then the flip side is, if the, if the, if the track at Sabina is spicy, okay, cool. Gabriel and Roach can blast a couple people out. Maybe Holder can have a good day and Paul can maybe back him up. But yeah. then you're looking at Bumrah and Shami and Ishan and thinking, well, boy, they're going to outbowl us anyways. Yeah. For me, this, this India side, I mean, aside from the openers who are inexperienced, there's really, it's, it's such a strong team. You're going to find it's hard to try and break this team down. I mean, if, as we saw in the first test, if Pujara and Kohli have a bad day, you've got Rahane, Vihari, Pant, Jadeja, who can all come in and hit big scores. So it's going to be really hard for this West Indies side, who have been struggling to take wickets, to try and make a breakthrough. But um, as you said, if we do not pick Rakeem Cornwall and it's a spin pitch, then we shot ourselves in the foot and we're, we're going to struggle. Yeah, um... I mean, maybe we should cut them some slack. This, like you say, it's India. No West yeah. Indies team has beaten India since uh, I'm gonna say 2012. Was that series in 2012? No, we didn't even win then. Um, I'm gonna try and find. Give me one second, very quickly. The last time we beat India. Boy, I don't even know if I can bother to look because it was so long ago. So long ago. Yeah. You know what? I've got to 2006 and we still haven't beaten them. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, there's no point in looking any... F- oh, here we go. 2002. 2002, West Indies beat India 2-1. But that was back when India uh, historically would tour places and would be crap. Um, yeah. So since 2002, West Indies haven't beaten India in any kind of test match series. Barely beat them in a test. Um so, in Jason Holder's defence, we never beat India anyway. So, are we being hypercritical in expecting them to compete? I don't think we are, purely because of the nature of how we beat England. I know England 
weren't focused on Red Bull cricket. For, well, they haven't been for the last three, three, four years. So obviously England took their foot off the gas. They were focused on the World Cup. Um, but we still beat England. We we performed superbly. Jason Holder's double hundred. Uh, the bowlers, the bowlers were magnificent. Hetmeyer played decent chase. So we, they, all the West Indians came together and played well to destroy England in the first two tests at least. So you'd you'd expect them to put up a better fight against India. I think what's disappointing is the manner of which they capitulated in this test, which means that rather than developing on the progress made in the England series, it feels like we're almost back at stage one. Always the way, two steps forward, ten steps back. Um, I think what's, what's also been concerning is we struggled in the Red Bull, which, as you said, is expected. We haven't won a series in, against India since 2002. Um, but the way we uh, faltered in the T20 series 3-0 and 2-0 in the ODI series is very concerning because white ball is traditionally a West Indian strength. Even there, they're underperforming against India. So you're wondering, how do they develop in all three formats struggling against India in such a bad way? How do you go forward from this? Well, that leads us to possibly the last thing we'll discuss on the pilot edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Um, and that is, and it links to a question that I, that I got when I put it out on Twitter, if anybody had any questions. Chris at High and Square, shout out man like Chris. Chris says, should Holder's quality as an all-rounder ensure his place as captain or who should be the skipper? Now, before you answer that, Santolki, let me also throw in there... Um, White ball cricket, so T20, Brathwaite needs to be sacked. ODIs, Holder needs to be sacked. But we'll unpick that in later podcasts. Just purely in terms of test cricket, as Chris says, should Holder be the skipper and should Floyd Reaper carry on as coach after this series is done? Well, in terms of the first question from Chris, in terms of Holder's ability, I believe he's number one in the all-rounders, yep. ICC all-rounders ranking. So that's, he's one, Stokes is two. Yeah, so he's, he's higher than Stokes at the moment. So that that automatically indicates his quality. I mean, he always comes in with a, a decent knock. I mean, even against India, he scored 39 in the in the first innings. Um, and it, uh, unfortunately, the tailenders couldn't hang around with him. But he's always, he's always scoring relatively well for the side. And occasionally, he does put in the big scores. And he chips in with wickets pretty consistently. So I think based on ability... By far the best all-rounder in the region at the moment in Test cricket. Captaincy, you could. I wouldn't say he's the best captain, but then again, as with everything with West Indies, who better? Who could who could fill in the void? I mean, we've talked about Leon Johnson being the best regional captain, but again, he he lacks the ability to make the Test squad as it stands. So you have to find that balance. So based on balance, I would say in terms of talent and captaincy skills, Holder is the best option in Test cricket at the moment. And um, maybe surprising you and surprising others, whilst I have called for Holder to be sacked as ODI captain, I do not believe he should be removed as test captain. I'm with you. I don't think there is another option. And actually, I still think we're atrocious in test match cricket, largely speaking. I think his record in test match cricket is poor. But the one thing I give Holder in test match cricket, he has always led from the front. Um, and the team has no excuses. I think his captaincy is still poor in terms of how he leads. Like I think he's fielding. I think he's a very conservative captain. I'm not convinced that um, his field placings. Like we tend, to, like even in this test match, 
when we have a side on the racks, we often don't kill them off. And I do yeah. think that comes down to Holder's captaincy. But if one of the things you ask for for a captain is to show the players, I'm going to go out there and gut it out, Holder does that in Test Match Cricket. So that he shouldn't be removed. However, yeah. what, sorry, one sec. What I would change, though, I don't think Brathwaite should be vice-captain. And I think what they now need to do is remove Brathwaite as vice-captain. I would probably, if they're not going to drop him, give it to Hetmeyer and say to Hetmeyer, you took us to the Under-19 World Cup and won it as captain. You obviously have leadership potential. Yes, you're only 21, but you are the future of West Indies cricket. We're giving you this vice-captaincy. Learn some responsibility because in time, it's coming to you. That's, that's what I would do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, in terms of what I've seen, Brathwaite is almost invisible in terms of his communication on the pitch when I do watch matches. Hetmeyer, as you said, would also fit the mould of most countries. I mean, Warner was, until the sandpaper uh, scandal, he was vice-captain for the Aussies, Stokes for England. So vice-captains do tend to be brash characters who lead from the front. And I feel, as you said, Hetmeyer being given vice-captaincy, it could make him feel more responsible. That he, So he could develop his game in terms of that because of the added responsibility. I mean, we've seen him captain in the Under-19 World Cup magnificently. So captain, vice-captaincy would add the responsibility, could make him refocus on his game, and it would also provide a stepping stone as to someone who could take over once Jason Holder gives up the reins. And so going back to Jason Holder as well, he's one of the few players who's actually focused more on red ball cricket in his in the past few years over T20 cricket. Because I remember first seeing him play for Sunrisers Hyderabad in the IPL and he was purely a T20 big bowler. But since becoming captain of the test side, he's focused purely on red ball cricket and you rarely see him in the T20 games now. So he has put the level of commitment in to succeed in the format. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you know what? Uh, we could, Listen... Boy, we could talk and talk and talk and talk on West Indies cricket, but we've got a second test to chew the fat over and plenty more to discuss. So we're going to call it a close there, people. This was only supposed to be a pilot episode, so you, the audience, you will be the judge as to whether we'll do this again. Um, I'm not going to do that thing that every podcast does where they say, give us a rating on iTunes because we're not even going to put it on there. Um, so this is just a pilot thing. Let us know. Um, also, if you, if you want to feature... Um, on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast hit us up on our Twitter um, go to the blog page if you feel you've got something to say you want to write something about uh, Caribbean Cricket let us know um, and if you think there's any cricketers or that you feel that we should get on actually Santoki someone messaged me the other day and said get Tino Best on yes I think that's a that. good call you know I think that's a good best. call so um, we'll try and get on to that but um, thanks everyone for listening anyone who plays this downloads this once we try and get this up somewhere thank you very much i've been michelle st patrick hewitt and this is santoki it's been a pleasure until next time excellent later
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 